Welcome to the Home Lab Show, episode 42, Security Onion. We're going to peel back the layers of Security Onion and tell you why it's an awesome project, but not for the faint of heart. And also it's a rabbit hole that you'll spend way too much time out obsessing over because it's amazing. And the more insight you get on how network engineering works, the more you like this product. It is really, really uh, a lot of fun. It'll it really will tickle the network engineer in you, I hope. So that's, uh, I have not done a video yet. It is on my to-do list uh, to put this on my YouTube channel, but don't worry if you search the actual Security Onion organization, the team themselves does have a series of YouTube videos and talks um, on the product. So uh, easy enough to go to their website uh, and find all of that. But before we dive deep into this, let's talk about a sponsor of the show, and that is still Linode. They still want to keep sponsoring the show. They uh, have thanked us for sharing the knowledge of Linode with all of you. We actually were just talking to them the other day, me and Jay were. Yeah. So this is, uh, they plan to, uh, we plan to continue the sponsorship of Linode. I guess enough of you have signed up. They find it worthwhile. So if you're looking for a place to host some of your applications and some of the fun projects we talk about here, do check out Linode. I mean, we know the home lab show sounds like it should all be in your lab, but your lab sometimes, you know, can't handle things or doesn't have enough IP addresses, or you don't really want it inside your lab. Maybe you want to set up a honeypot, which Jay, make a note of that. Honeypots sound like a great episode, don't they? (laughs) They really do that. It's so much fun, especially we were kind of just floating ideas like, um, kind of like uh forensics after you get you know something happens and just looking at what people are doing or how they're getting in and security obviously is a topic today so yeah that would be a fun topic for sure yeah i think one of these days we'll we'll tackle that one as well but uh thank you linode for sponsoring and for those of you want to get signed up there's an offer code down below in the links uh if you're watching us on the youtubes or you can of course find it on our website for the podcast but thank you very much linode for sponsoring the show and uh let's dive into security onion Yes, let's do that. And let's also um, address the fact that um, we're at episode number 42, which ah. um, is actually the answer to the great question. I, yeah. I just wanted to make sure no one thought I'd forget about that. I had to throw that in there for sure. <laughs> yes. You know, I thought about that too. I, I was like, it, it dawned on me after, once I typed it, I'm like, oh, it is episode 42. Because yep. we don't think about the episode number as much as we think about what is the show going to be about. I'm like, oh, the next one we should do security again. Um but I, yeah. I'm like, oh, it's 42. We should have yeah, made it like 42. a question and answers to life. <laughs> would have been a great Q and A, but we didn't have enough questions. Come on, guys, yeah. send in on, some guys. questions. Those some questions at us. All right. Well, that, that's for the uh, as in when I say throw questions, that's actually for the form, uh, not to be answered necessarily right here. But we do uh, love our Q and A episodes, and mm-hmm. uh, there's enough questions in there. We'll be doing one soon. Yep. What we do with that? Let's talk about security onion first. What is it and it's an interesting conglomeration of open source tools. So there's a lot of open source tooling in the space of network uh, investigation. And that's specifically what security is for. So this would be looked at as an investigative tool, a SIM tool to monitor where all of your traffic is going, all the ins and outs, hunting for threats, diving deep in there, as in the tools that are used in securing and are ones used by security analyst teams as in SOC is me, uh, a SOC is what you probably heard these teams referred to as. And what a SOC team does is they're always just watching all the traffic going around and going, is that a good piece of traffic or a bad piece of traffic? How do we analyze it? Or sometimes when you know there's an endpoint with a problem, they want to know, all right, we know this endpoint is infected with something. 
where did it go? How did that get there? What did it reach out and do? Did some data exfiltration happen? So there's a lot of different tools for doing this. Security Onion, and it started all the way back in 2008, is a collection of open source tools beautifully put together into one package with one installer. There is a lot of technologies underneath the hood there, and they don't hide or obscure them. They do a great job of gluing them all together to make this work. So it's it's no small undertaking uh, where they are. So let's talk about a little, little bit of the background on it. And it was originally called just Security Onion and then a version number. And this can be a little bit confusing because you go, oh, version 1604, because they were following the Ubuntu style version numbers because they were just based on Ubuntu. And then they retooled the entire stack and now it's called Security Onion 2. Now, it's not like it was 1.6.04. I've seen a few people ask me about the confusion in the naming scheme. They went to just calling it Security Onion 2, and then they have a series of subversion numbers after that. That's because one of the big things they did was they went to an entire container-based system on the back end. So all the different applications that they put together are all done as a series of Docker containers. This made it a lot easier for them to update. And if you look at the back end engineering, they're using SaltStack. Uh, have you ever used SaltStack, Jay? It's like the only configuration management tool I have yet to use. Okay. Fortunately. It's a it's interesting if you start looking at it and they did this for scalability and I've talked to the people and the engineers at Security Union and they have Security Union installs at very large enterprise companies. This is actually on par with some of the tools uh, and this is coming from someone who actually uses, uh, one of my friends used to use Security Union at one company. That's where he learned to be a SIM engineer, S-I-E-M uh, engineer to be able to understand things and start diving into networks. Then from there, he he now works for a Fortune 500 company using QRadar, but he says, yeah, honestly, he says there's still things he misses about how the security onion system worked compared to the way IBM's QRadar works, which is saying something because they spend $2 million a year in licensing for the QRadar. So, wow. That's an <laughs> yeah. piece of software. So you're getting some... You're getting some pretty serious tools here. All right, enough of gloating about it. So hopefully it gives you a little bit of background on what it is. Now, what does it include? This, this is where it gets a little interesting. They have the Hive... I think it's called Strelka, Strelka, I'm not sure, S-T-R-E-L-K, Grafana, Fleet, Playbook, Hunt. And then they also include Wazoo and Sericata. Now, they have really solid documentation. I'll let you dive into the details of each of these. But what all these tools give you together is a couple different possibilities with security in it. You have the ability to first set up a full, well, before we say full tap, let's actually scoot back uh, uh, before I skip over something. What does Security Onion run on is uh, probably the thing I should address right away. As I, I notice, I skipped that in my notes here. <laughs> you really should run this on bare metal. Is it possible to load it in a VM? Yes, for testing purposes. One of the requirements for Security Onion, though, is to be able to really access these network interfaces. I have gotten it to work in a VM. It requires sometimes some uh, Googling and some troubleshooting, but it's best designed to run as a independent piece of hardware that you load the software directly on. The reason for this, and now we can get into where it sits on your network, is one of the primary use cases you'll have. Now, I'll talk about standalone mode in a moment, but the primary use case, the way it's going to be implemented in the commercial world, is you're going to set up a port mirror. And what a port mirror is, or a port tap, depending on how you want to label it, and depending on how, what your switch calls it, but you want to take all the data from your network 
and mirror it. So it's like tapping and sniffing all the network data, all the ins and outs of your network. And you're doing this, meaning you take it at your WAN side and mirror all that data out. This is what gives it that visibility to sing in your network. Uh, I can't remember, but I think I've done a couple port tap videos. They're not hard to set up. Uh, I've even talked, to, I know I've talked about it in my live stream, but you can Google how to set those up on most of your managed switches support it, whether it's Unify, Cisco, Microtech, most any company has the ability to mirror that traffic. Then you take that traffic mirror and you just run one network cable over, generally speaking, from that mirrored port. And that's how Security Onion, and when you're setting it up, it should have multiple network interfaces. That's how it ingests all the data. It's like a fire hose and just blasting all the IP data at it. And then it has all the tools to parse and sort that data. But that's only one use case for it. The other use case where you can also get more intelligence is when you have tools like Wazoo. Now, Wazoo itself is probably an episode, if I uh, get around to it, it's a really neat open source management tool that gives you a lot of security insight into any individual host. And that can also be tied then again to security union. What each of these are doing is creating pivot points of data. So we have the full Firehose stream of all the network traffic. And we know by IP address what host that may have come from, but then we can get even deeper insights with something like Wazoo. So you can set up these telemetries where Wazoo is loaded as an agent on each of the nodes. And I believe Wazoo has full Windows support as well. So you can collect data from more than just your Linux devices and pipe that in as well. The goal of all of this is to create correlation data. The correlation data you're going to be able to get with this is be able to go in and say, what is the entire history that led up to this incident that I'm investigating or just the head scratchy curiosity of when I fire up this host, where does it go? What are all the different servers it reaches out to? How often does it? And this is what Security Onion's real goal is here, is to be able to do and have the tools to both log based on how much storage you have. And obviously, if you're doing full mirroring, and if you use 10 gigs of data a day, and you want to keep 30 days, well, you're going to need 300 gigs of storage on your system because it's exactly how that works. So as you pull in data, yes, there's some compression and things like that. But for the most part, depending on how much data you would like to keep, and some companies actually, this is when you've heard me talk about selling large storage servers on my channel. Sometimes these are some of the backend uses that these companies have is just to sort and store all the data for investigative purposes. Because once you have all the data, Security Onion, when you have an incident, the incident may have happened two days ago. You realized it today. You need the ability to walk back two days ago so you can find the start of the event. That's why this logging is so important. This is also one of the reasons they recommend it on real hardware. Now, good news is for you home lab people, if you are going, hey, I have a limited amount of resources. I can really only run this on some small older device or maybe just a virtual box instance or something, you know, really minimal. It does have the ability to just take PCAPs and dissect them for you into the same threat intelligence. So instead of having a port mirror, it does have a full standalone mode that you can just go and grab a PCAP file, drop it in there. Now, this is a really great feature for people that just kind of want to see how it works. And this is some of the demonstrations I've seen uh, from YouTube videos that they put out on Security Onion is just how to grab a PCAP file and they walk through what does that look like? And it gives you that same tool. And the good thing is a lot of different tools such as PFSense, uh, support full PCAP. So you can grab PCAP files out of PFSense. And of course, in the broader sense, if you're not familiar with PCAPs, 
Might be another fun show topic of how to gather network intelligence data with PCAPs and Wireshark. PCAPs are very common in the uh, network industry to be able to do investigative work. A lot of times people, like when you're troubleshooting anything, let's look at the PCAP file of all the traffic. It's basically like a raw collection of just all the traffic for some defined period. And the ability to import these standardized PCAP files is uh, great. I see someone uh, asking, and... I bought uh, in the chat though, like, can it run on lesser devices like uh, Raspberry Pi? Yeah. Oh, even better. I've seen Security Onion has entered the chat. <laughs> so that's really awesome. Wow. Yeah. They are. Uh, <laughs> we didn't even know we were doing this episode until like less than 12 hours before it's time to, to start it. <laughs> yeah. We we're trying to come up with a good security episode on there. Yeah. So we're excited to see the Security Onion team. So. Right. So that's awesome. They are actively, uh, Security Union is very actively engaged. Uh, their founder, like I said, gives many talks, as I said. So uh, definitely uh, excited to see them here. I like mm -hmm. this. This is another important thing. They're not just an open source company uh, doing an open source thing. They're very engaged in the community as well. So awesome that they Apparently. joined the live chat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very happy to see him here. And I'm sorry if I get anything wrong. I don't claim to be a security expect, expert. I am just trying to spread some enthusiasm for the product. <laughs> yep. All right. <clears throat> now, some of the other things you can ingest inside of here is some of the other logs. It's not the same as a logging server, but you can send other network information to it. So it does have other ways to ingest a lot of this intelligence. And this is just great because the more data you can put towards it is what really helps with your investigations. Because this is where the challenge really comes in when you're doing any type of threat monitoring is figuring out that data point and you're always always feels like you're short one more piece of data. I need one more thing that would help me figure out how this got here, what it reached out to. And this is one of the things that Security Onion does very well. Now, I want to touch a little bit on scalability too. One of the neat things about Security Onion is they built a system that can stand alone and be this one box. But if you're familiar with how enterprise environments work, that really isn't a practical use case because you couldn't build the single box big enough for a very large enterprise. Uh, Security Onion expands out and scales out quite a bit, uh, I would say essentially horizontally, where you can have a series of sensors that you build to collect all this data back to some of the architectural design, it goes all the way from this simple standalone device that can manage just some PCAP files in a small, you know, small environment, like I want to do some testing, then it can be a standalone box that does the investigation, maybe at a small business network, then it can go on to be the much larger enterprise product with a series of nodes. And there's just a pretty amazing possibilities you can do with these. And uh, I've did some consulting and like I said, talked with them before and got to see uh, them talk about what it looks like for a larger, more enterprise, many node environment setup. So uh, this is one of those things that if you take the time to really learn this, the knowledge you'll gain from Security Onion and then the uh, pivot you can do to using this in larger environments. If this is your career path, thinking about getting into being a security analyst, uh, this is really helpful. So it's really helpful if you're ever doing any type of malware dissection. You can maybe have Security Onion just as part of a tap on a small segment of your network. And if you want to, you know, test out some malware or understand deeper what type of network connections and what type of traffic goes through, it does give you those abilities to pick and slice those things apart. Have you ever worked with any SIM or uh, SOC tools, Jay? 
Um, a little bit. Yeah, I haven't gotten too much into security on my end, but it is something that I expect to get more into uh, not too much longer. Yeah. Um, one of the other things about this is it, the threat intelligence feeds in there. Now, this is they're using the ET open free feeds are available. Uh, you can add more feeds in there because there's the other component is not just what you can track internally, but you have to have some comparative analysis externally. One of the features this has built in when you're setting up Security mm -hmm. Onion is the ability to pull in what they refer to as ET open rules. And this is like your Sericata rules, which, by the way, also has Sericata in the back end on there. This gives you some of the other analysis because there's always the ability to try to look at a piece of traffic and define that pattern into something. And what that tools like Sericata allow you to do is you can look at that and go, ah, I recognize this traffic. This is what it looks like when someone's doing, I don't know, log4j. There's a popular and recent one yeah. that we can talk about. And then you can start analyzing the attacks. This is another place where security onion can sit is monitoring that traffic that might be heading there. Now, by the way, this is all monitoring. This is not active engagement, active uh, stopping it. This is all when you do something like a port tap, this is ingestion of data for analysis. This is in ingestion of data to understand what's going on. It is not the point to actively engage and stop that thing from happening. It's to let you know that it happened. And this is really important because the example, and there was actually a great discussion over in uh, Reddit just the other day. Well, I don't know about great people get angry on Reddit sometimes, but it was definitely a discussion. And what happened is someone had their, uh, system that they did not patch they were doing a hosted ubiquity system and they didn't patch it in time mm -hmm. because you know they just set it up in the cloud and you go oh that's right that that means me when it said you should patch things that use uh log for j well if you're a security analyst one of the things and this is what happened at my friend who works at the large company and this is where these sim tools become very handy the question is, were you breached? We Do we know? Well, we can replay the traffic once we've added more analysis, like we know what an attack at log4j looks like. We can look at the parsing data that Security Onion had in there, and then we can determine if the period between the vulnerability being known or out in the wild and being abused and the time you patched it, this is where you can go back investigatively and reverse that and go through there. This is where Security Onion and these Sims type tools are extremely helpful for your knowledge on there. So this is uh, one of the big use cases that you have for uh, using this is be able to answer that question. Was I breached? Is there some weird anomalies, especially when you go to places like gray noise uh, is an easy example. Graynoise.io is a website. That's a service that has listed IPs that are known doing bad things. Uh, you can also use like alien vault. And if you have some of those IPs and you go, Hey, I know this IV was IP was a cobalt strike server or something bad. Then you can go back and reverse and hunt for that inside of your security onion system to be able to do that. Now, a few other tools that are in there. Um, they have, uh, this is not something I've dove much into. I just want to mention it's on there. It's it's the hive-project.org. So Security Onion has all the tools that are built in for all this analysis, but there's, of course, a little bit more you might need for some of your investigative searches. Now, when you're working in a home lab and on your own, it's a good practice to add notes to why something happened. Security Onion doesn't just give you a bunch of data. It lets you create an investigation and then add the notes to it. So they've included a few different tools that allow you uh, to have a scalable, open source, free security incident response platform. And that's what the Hive 
the hive-project.org is. This is one of the tools that's included in there. This allows you, and the security onion is a multi-user system, so you can create multiple, multiple users. And for a larger environment that's normal, you usually have a security team and you can start making notes and on the anomalies that you find. And that's actually built in as well. Um, for people who like pretty graphs, and we're not going to show them here because this is the podcast, but don't worry, they got plenty of screenshots and security onion for this. One of the really cool things is they do have Grafana. And I actually asked Jay, um, neither one of us are experts in Grafana, so we may right. have a guest come on the podcast that is more of an expert. We've reached out to a couple people and we're working on scheduling. But yes, we know uh, the home lab world loves their pretty graphs and they're sometimes pretty cool especially if you can get a good pew pew map of the world and see where all the ips are and go why is that ip in russia pinging me <laughs> that's always interesting right. yeah. um, uh, grafana is integrated in there and grafana will produce some really nice charts now this can be helpful when you're just trying to say what's this surge in traffic when you do a pivot uh, and it's fully integrated in there they also use elastic uh, that's all part of the uh, platform that's in there for the investigations now the next couple things to talk about is the, let me jump over to, do, 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 do. it's the cookbook I'm looking for. I'm trying to remember what the cookbook is they have in there. I, I forgot to put it in my notes. They have the Elasticsearch Hunt Council on there, uh, but they also have some of the reverse engineering. Um, what is the, I, man, sorry, that's someone say it. <laughs> Technical difficulties. <laughs> Technical difficulties. It fell out of my head and it was on a different memory. I know. We'll just move on. They it's the tool uh I think it's called Cyber Chef Cyber Chef. It's the ability and it lets you kind of uh take different files and reverse them and break it break it down. That's also something else that's integrated in there. So all right. <laughs> Sorry about my little <laughs> that happens. It happens for to me a lot. Um, I think uh, we have more memory issues than our computers do. So, yep. Especially as we get older, it gets a little worse over time. Um, so, what something that I'm noticing, you know, as I look at this, because I've never used it before, so you know, I'm quiet because I'm learning today along with everyone else because this is really cool, and I'm learning while Tom talks about this. Um, there's a lot of questions in the chat room about like okay, what can I install this on? Like, can I put this on a Raspberry Pi? Raspberry Pi is very popular in home lab because, well, we could put something on it and it's this low power dedicated box. It, it's not supported, but when I look at the minimum specs, and I, I kind of hate the term minimum specs because it almost implies that as long as I have these specs, everything's okay in the world. That means uh, basically you can get it off the ground. And if you just have, you just go crazy with all the features, then um, of course there's going to be a problem. But the minimum specs are four gigs of RAM, two CPU cores, and 200 gigs of storage. And 200 gigs of storage is also, um, you know, recommended as well. Because they, if you're, that's if you're just doing like um, importing PCAPs. But if you're going to be doing more than that, then they recommend 12 gigs of RAM and four CPU cores, also 200 gigs of storage. But of, of course, if you go crazy, you know, that's not going to be enough, but that's kind of like where your starting point is. So if you go to Lab Gopher or something like that, you could find something there to run it on um, if, if that's what you'd like to do. Yes. Um, and CyberChef is the name of the thing I was looking for. Data decoding made easy. So CyberChef is really slick for uh, being able to, it's a, all, all done like a web application, but allows you to basically, like a Swiss Army knife, take apart uh, different 
XOR, Base64, or even more complicated like AES, DES, Blowfish, and creating binary and hex stumps. Because one of the things you're going to find is as you do some of these investigations, you go, all right, here's a file, but it was Base64 encoded. And there's a lot of different obfuscation techniques to try to get around different tools and antiviruses. And each one of these uh, sometimes comes with the, the unique challenges of it. I'm trying to remember... Uh, one of the examples that the uh, folks over at Huntress use, they were actually doing a red team, blue team exercise. There's an entirely weird way they obfuscated IP addresses um, because Windows will accept IP addresses in a couple different notations. And some security tools, apparently it can evade. I think they've been fixed since then. But this is where, why can you base 64 and code something and then actually have it work? Uh, me and Jay were talking about WordPress doing this, yeah. where when someone hacks your WordPress, you'll find a bunch of stuff where they base 64 encoded blobs to try to get past normal detection. So there's that's where CyberChef comes in to start reversing all of that. So you can go, what exactly is this thing that I found on there? Because out of a PCAP, you can't extract like what payloads or files may came out of it. But then the layer of obfuscation is a deeper. So you use something like CyberChef to pull it out. Now, someone asked a really good question here of why not? Why, you know, that was a difference between an analyzing with security onion and then compared to like active filtering a block to threat. And this is where things are a little bit grayer. And this is the challenge in why there's teams of people working at the security uh, sock locations. They have to go through and figure out whether or not something's a false positive. So it tripped the security system. And we actually do investigations. And I'll use the example, like we use Sentinel-1 for this. Uh, we'll do an investigation because something tripped one of our security things and may have stopped the user from doing something. Now we have to make a determination. Was that a real QuickBooks update? Was that a fake QuickBooks update that it decided to stop? So the tools sometimes just have false positive. And that's one of the reasons like you want to have those things and those tools on there. But in order to back those tools up and validate their findings, this is where tools like security can help you investigate it. Also, sometimes things get through. And an easy example or probably famous example, I should say, is if you dive deep into, and I've got a couple of videos on this, the SolarWinds Orion hack. That was a really interesting one because it obviously got by all the different next-gen firewalls. Pretty much this tool, the tool set that was used by the threat actors that was done for espionage around the SolarWinds Orion, they were able to bypass all these different firewalls at pretty much every major Fortune 1000 company. There's a, I, I, at one point there was a, I think they said SolarWinds Orion was installed in 400 of the 500 Fortune 500 companies. Wow. So yeah, it's that popular of a product. And they said it was also used by the Department of Defense and all branches of the military. So somehow this system sat for six months. When you dive deep into the Mandian investigation into it, you realize all these next-gen firewalls had no way of understanding this. But let's go backwards to, you know, something and how Mandian was able to find it, because even though the tool, that espionage tool was removed, they had a year's worth of logs they could go backwards through. So if you're using a tool and you've got it set up like security union and you've created a year's worth of logs, if I told you today, two months ago, we know the IP addresses and we know the payloads and this is the information that we can now make public. 
you could then go back and reverse through your network and go, well, my next gen firewall never flagged anything back then, but of course nobody's did. So now we have these IP addresses. Let's start reversing through all of our logs for X number of months and see if we were a victim. That's actually how companies that had good security and SIM tools were able to determine whether or not they were victims or not victims. Companies like Mandiant and Microsoft, uh, Google, and some of these very large co companies have the storage and have put forth the resources to having this. And some of you probably are going, I can't get my approval for more than even two weeks worth of logs holding. <laughs> yeah, that's a that is a smaller business problem for sure. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You, I, I think Jay's seen that a couple times when you talk about. Um, uh, what is it? The the previous one of your previous employers, maybe <laughs> some of the things about how much resources need to be put more into logging. I'm not here to throw anyone in the yeah, bus. Yeah, no, uh... but but it's a good point though because it's commonly when you work in the industry that you know you there's a a pretty decent idea of the right way to do things, but you know obviously there's some debate depending on you know the the administrator, but. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of examples that I can give about, you know, doing it the right way and doing it the wrong way. Um, we could probably make an entire episode out of it, but I think that might be better for your other channel um, if you wanted to cover that. So, yeah, 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 there's a there's a lot in there. Um, a couple of the little things I want to talk about on there. Now, let me jump over to the do 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 do. One of the ways it has in there, and this is one of one more tool, and I mentioned it briefly, but I want to make sure this is clear. The FileBeat system, the FileBeat helps you keep simple uh, by offering a lightweight way to forward and centralize logs. So because they're building this off of FileBeat and Elastic, this is what offers you even more integration with this to be able to forward and ingest more data. That's why I said earlier is when I say not just your firewalls but all of your network equipment or any of the endpoints through Wazoo, this is all a series of tools that let you build and have all these queries for any of those functions on there to be able to do any of the things like the investigative tools that were on there. Now, once you have all this set up, it, it can be, I was reading through the documentation. It's, it's a lot to get this whole thing going. I do recommend uh, for getting it going though, they have really solid documentation. I have gone through and I was reading through it again. It's even better than the last time when I was playing this with a few months ago. Uh, this is one thing that's important to me from, and this is a change for some of the, uh, well, I change, just really helpful when you have an open source project that's been around since 2008, it becomes this mature and also has the accompanying documentation for it. One thing though, is before you even start, I do really recommend, I mean, run headfirst into it and get stuck if you want, but take the time to RTFM uh, before you set any of these things up. And by the way, they do link back out to things like Elastic and CyberChef because they've integrated some of these tools, but each one of these tools have their own separate documentation. They've just included them in there and made the connections, but they still run somewhat as independent tools within there. Uh, so that's a little, little word to the wise there. So that's the... Uh, when you're, when you're going into this, it's uh, not for the faint of heart. I definitely just want to make sure that part's clear. Now, yep. go ahead. I was just going to also say, too, that uh, sometimes that excites us in Home Lab because um, 
if something is a long-term project, especially in Michigan, I mean, like we're not going outside in the winter. Come on. What else are we going to do? So okay, law, I mean, if a project is um, bigger, there's a subset of our audience. It's like, well, that's great. That means I have something to do um, other than just work all day. I actually have another project I can work on that's going to give me some learning and some things over the course of time. Um, that actually, I actually like it when someone says it's going to, it's a little bit to get into, or it's going to take a little while, but that sounds good to me. Yeah, that's a, a lot about it there. They also have a complete set. And I, you know, if it wasn't a podcast, I'd be showing them all on the screen here. A complete set of how the data flows through the system, how you have the management network versus the sniffing networks and how each of these packets get broke down. This is really nice. So you kind of understand where it sits and where it stacks into your network. So what it gains visibility into. Now, one other thing I'm going to say is really nice about Security Onion. And I was running it, for example, doing full cap logging at my house uh, for a little while as a side project, but I also put it on auto update. The one of those minor things that um, annoy me about things like, let's just say elastic is it seems to break occasionally with updates. This is where the security onion team has actually done a really good job on handling all the updates. Uh, that's one of the reasons I took the time to reload it from scratch before I did this video and almost didn't have time uh, to finish the load. Uh, I will warn you, it is a pretty big download and, uh, even with a reasonably fast machine, it took a little bit to load on there. It does rely heavily on um, a good IO performance and a reasonably fast machine. That's one of the reasons that kind of ruling out things like, uh, what'd you call it? Um, running it on like a Raspberry Pi or a low power device. I mean, you can yeah. get it working in standalone, but it's once you pack this many tools together, I think the ISO download is close to eight gigs to give you an idea of just how much is packed into uh, the install. It's bigger than probably yeah. a lot of distributions. <laughs> and it's not and it's not a Linux desktop environment. This is all web interface yeah. here. <laughs> Yeah, you know, that's the thing about um, Raspberry Pi, because it's, it, you know, if we're not careful, it's like, you know, yeah, it's a big download, big install. And then, you know, of course, well, I have a 128 gig SD card, I don't care. Or I have a one terabyte SD card, I'm fine. But, um, you know, again, Raspberry Pi not supported. But even if they did, it's like, I think people have to keep in mind that Raspberry Pi is awesome. And I will totally float it, like brag about it. But anything that is IO heavy, is going to be a potential problem on the Raspberry Pi. And this is very IO heavy. And also keep in mind that unless you are gonna have two dongles that are ethernet jacks on your Pi, assuming you could get it to work, then you have not only IO contention, but now you have like two external, or actually at least one external um, ethernet if you wanna actually do capture. It's just gonna be um, a rabbit hole you probably don't wanna go into to try to make that work. So. Um, yeah, and it's not supported anyway, but yeah, just want to just clear that up before someone's, well, I have a one terabyte SD card. Watch me try to make this work. But, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, few, few notes, uh, final notes on this to wrap it up. Cause the, uh, the other stuff I, I want to dive into is more visual and maybe I'll do a video on it, but I do highly recommend checking out the security onion, their videos, their stuff they put on YouTube, um, a few talks they've give on the product. There's, there's a lot you can find out about them. They're like the best kept secret. Cause they are, uh, more popular than I think people realize out in the market. It's not just some cobbled together tool. It's an entire group of security professionals that do the team. And it is a little bit of their business model, just an FYI. Um, here's all the tools for free. Oh, by the way, we do sell consulting to help you stand this up because it is a complicated project. Uh, so, you know, shout out to them. That's 
I actually really love an open source project that has a business model around it. Um, that's actually something to me that's really important. That's what allows further future development. They offer professional services around it. So that's uh, absolutely if someone happens to work in an enterprise environment and needs to reach out to or have support for a product, this is a product that does come with that support. I've talked about this like with XCPNG and some of yep. the other tools we use here. Absolutely. If you need help standing up environment, that's kind of the way their business model, which is, of course, goes back into the product. And I love that they have put the time and dedication into it. Um, among the things that are of note is that they do have a backup on there, which is actually kind of cool because that was an uh, aggravation when I played with some of the some different products out there. You spend a lot of time configuring them, I and mean, especially when you're doing something on bare metal, um, not having a way to back up easily those customizations. VMs are easy. I'll just snapshot the VM and export them and put them into my VM process. And me and Jay have certainly dove into that quite a bit, uh, yep. talking about like the Proxmox backup server or the way you can back up any of the virtualization stacks. But when you got bare metal, it's a little bit tricky. When you have bare metal that's having this much data, well, now you've got some other challenges. So they do have some configuration backup and management backup and the ability to migrate the system. So as your network changes, they have a series of scripts because you'll run a series of scripts to get it configured. They also allow the rerunning of all those scripts to make modifications to your network, maybe different segments or different ads um, and everything's, you know, can be really well. Uh, really locked down with all those configuration tools. So hopefully I, did I cover pretty well, Jay, to give you an idea what it is now? Because Jay, Jay does so. not use this. So that's where that's yeah. I'm asking him. <laughs> and, you know, I, I love these kinds of episodes because I come away with homework. It's like I live or die by what I call rainy day projects. When, it, you know, the weather's crappy, can't get outside. I have a list of things I want to check into, build or deploy. That would be fun. So it's another, another thing to add to the list. So if I have one of those slower days, you know, just just uh, set up Security Onion. That would be a fun project. So um, absolutely, I can't wait to check it out. Yeah, like I said, this is, if you're going to get into the cybersecurity side, I think it's really important to be on the SIM and SOC side too, to have an understanding of how these threats get in there. So whether your job is a security analyst, as in you're analyzing what happened at an endpoint, what happened at a workstation, pretty much the way modern things get there. I mean, with some exception, I know there was a uh, recent hack with a bunch of USB sticks floating around again, that happens, <laughs> but the majority of the attacks are going to come across the internet, which means they pass through a firewall and hopefully that firewall had some port mirrors set up and has some investigative tools like security onion tied there collecting all the data so you can actually do these investigations and of course what better place to start than your home network because boy with all the devices you have reaching out the amount of data from i remember when i was testing it in home i was just like blown away with the number of connections the volumes of them you're like there's so much going on here and it's like just a just a few of the kids being home and playing some games online, watching my son's computer and everywhere it connects to, you're like, there's a lot of connections. It's got like, you know, all those games open and everything else. So it lets you peer into how all that traffic's going. It's definitely really cool. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and speaking of cool, like talking about security onion, you know, how you can just find out the uh, lateral movement and what's going on and packet capturing and security analysis just makes me want to like if if I get a hacker right, just just blast some techno music, have some like mm -hmm. flashing lights, and just see. Oh, I'm gonna I'm after the hacker. Let me get the hacker. Yeah, <laughs> it's it gonna really reenact a '90s movie or something like that. Um, as you go through the process, but uh, in all seriousness, though, it it sounds like a really nice tool. 
Yeah, it's it's a set more than, you know, in, in the basics, and we've talked about Graylog on this channel. Graylog is great for all of your logging needs, not just IP-based logging needs, but, you know, different devices you have on a network and ingesting all those logs. But this is a step further when you go, I need to slice and dice all the network traffic. I need to know um, with these rule base that the ET open rules, does Sericata look at this and perceive this as a threat? Or... Does it perceive it as a threat now if I try to replay this PCAP? Because I have some data from before, but the rules came out today about something that was going on last week. Was I affected by that thing last week? These are the types of tools that you need in order to understand that and answer that question. You know, was I a victim of this particular attack? Did someone poke at my network for this information? This is... Um, absolutely like the key you need in order to do this. And it's unfortunately um, more than once that I've been in uh, helped out as an assistant. I'm not a lead for investigations and security, but I've been there when it's happened. I've got to watch the teams work and they run around asking for logs and uh, more times than not. And my friends that are red team, uh, they know that logs don't exist. And my friends that are the cleanup teams are also saying the same thing. Like, yeah, they, the logging is always uh kind of sparse at a lot of companies and i'm like at least start diving into and looking at something like security onion because open source it's free yeah. it's something you can get started with and learning so i'll uh yep. stop <laughs> i'll that's stop a, ranting yeah. about it but that's <laughs> so a good point though i mean it's like the art the art of home lab is, the, is similar to the art of the enterprise infrastructure side of things because it's like you're you see a problem there's an open source solution for it and then overall your deployment and your infrastructure is a collection of tools that are made by completely separate entities. They're not related at all, but they work well together. So you can have one that's doing analysis of your network. You have a log server. You know, yep. you have some things that prevent intrusions, things that look at if intrusions happen, why did they happen? And a collection of all these things that are seemingly unrelated just work well together. And that gives you your complete build. And that's kind of what a lot of us that do Home Lab is we like that complete picture that we've built and we've created as like an art form. And I see some discussion about security concerns about when you're ingesting data. Uh, security is very well structured when you go through this setup. It's going to have you set up the management interface and it's going to have you set up the span or tap interface where you're ingesting all the data is not ever supposed to be where you're managing the system. What this allows it to do is essentially be data flows this way in through this particular sniffing interface, but there's no way to do any management. It's not doing any of that. It's just grabbing data, pulling it in. And then depending on how you want to do this, you could even go as far as set up the management interface. And the only time you go in and do investigations, you keep it air gapped. You plug it in when you do the investigation. This would stop anyone from having anything. This essentially makes it an immutable log server at that point where it only ingests data and is only managed. Even when you set up the management interface, it it by default, it asks you the question on setup, what IPs can manage this? Now you can specify a subnet if you want, but they say what IPs and you probably want to input like your IP address. That way not anyone can even get to it. I mean, the management interface still has username and password. It's protected by SSL, but they take all the steps to try to lock this down because this is definitely one of those things where when a red team gets in, they want to disable logging. When a threat actor gets in, they want to disable logging. It's not easy for them in, their, mm -hmm. in the environment um, when you have a logging server, if they know it exists, they really want to turn it off. And, that, and in the case of security, when it's doing passive recon, 
it's not even going to alert them that it exists. So it gives you a better chance, a better statistic of even if you didn't stop them, because obviously they're in the network, it gives you that analysis because frequently threat actors sit in your network for a long time before doing something because they're, they're actually all, the way the marketplace works in the cybersecurity field right now is they're called IEBs or initial access brokers. The people who break into systems and establish a beachhead, establish a uh, backdoor to your system aren't always the ones deploying it. They actually grab that and then sell it. That's why they're called initial access brokers. They actually broker connections mm -hmm. to uh, people based on the value they find in them. Like, ooh, look what I got. I got a beachhead in XYZ company. What's that worth? And they go on the dark web and auction you off. If you have the analysis tools, you are able then to root them out of your network. You're like, hey, I found them. And of course, those analysis tools, they established the beachhead, but they just have a, they just popped a web shell here through something. They didn't actually do anything. There's no traffic. There's, there's just the web shell. There's a few kilobits to spawn it. It contracted the command and control server, but it didn't respond. So we're bad that we were breached, but it wasn't that bad. We didn't suffer a deeper breach. They didn't pivot through the network. These are what these tools hopefully uh, help clear that up there. This is uh, get a little off topic, but I guess on topic for what we're talking about today of why this tool is so important or why these type of tracking tools are so important. Yep. All right. Anything else, Jay? I think we've covered it I all. Think, I think we have. I mean, there's always something else. There's never going to be an episode where we cover 100% of anything because that's always impossible, but I think you covered uh, what we need to know. Yeah. So thanks. Uh, head over and obviously just go over to the Security Onions website. Uh, which is securityonionsolutions.com. You can download it for free there. No registration needed. Don't worry, because I know that comes up sometimes. Of Do they make you register? Do they make you do any of that? Um, they offer training certifications if you're interested in diving deeper into it from a professional standpoint. Um, but on the Home Lab Show, we like to offer something that you can absolutely start on your own and just get started with it. So head over there, download it. Um, they also yep. have specs on the hardware and everything else uh, and suggestions on that. Like I said, read take the time RTFM you'll be better for it. Cause there's, there's a lot, but they have an entire step-by-step -step getting started with it. So, all right. <laughs> hmm. Thank you guys for watching and see you next time. Thank you.